Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. The Hawassi is a class two, and that's where I about died. So, I'm never going rafting again. To the glory of God, I'm about to throw this thing again. All right. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, clear my mind, clear our hearts, clear our thoughts. Allow us to hear what you have to say this morning. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. As you guys know, we are in the middle of we are we are in the middle of a new sermon series called Hot Topics, and um, what we're talking about is topics that are that are important, topics that are that are that are relevant, topics that are that that we may be facing and dealing with every day that 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 are that we're facing in culture that we're facing in our world these are hot topics hot hot button issues things that that need to be dealt with from a biblical perspective and you guys know we have uh we we spent a year and a half going through the gospel of luke and um hit hit jesus miracles and his his teachings and 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 his power and 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 we just we we dove in and we spent a year and a half there and so as i was preparing and thinking about the summer i thought you know what why don't we take just these few weeks over the summer and hit some of these issues that because i don't really do topical sermons you guys know that i haven't really done a i was telling some friends i haven't really done a topical series or topical sermon since i was a youth pastor back in the day i would do topical messages all the time haven't really done any topical sermons. I'm not really, I'm not really a fan of, of, of a steady diet of topical messages, but I think that they have a place and that we, can, we, we, we need to take some time to just hear what the Lord says about a certain issue. And so when we get through the summer, we get through this series, we'll get back and we'll, we'll journey through some, some books of the Bible again together. But, so, but, but over these next few weeks, we're just looking at some, some hot topics, some issues that, that are of importance that we need to be thinking through from a biblical perspective. You guys know I, we sent out a poll and, I'm a, and had you guys vote. And I'm not everybody voted, um, but we had a, a decent amount of folks vote. And several of these topics I'm going to be touching on in the coming weeks. And um, one of those that I'm going to be touching on in the coming weeks is mental health. Be talking about that. One of the things I'll be touching on in the coming weeks is um, deconstruction and atheism. Be talking about that in the coming weeks. Got some things we'll be talking about. Um, This morning, this morning we're going to be talking about kingdom politics. 
right? So what is kingdom politics? It feels like we are always in a political season. Anybody feel me on that? It feels like for the past 10 years, it has been nothing but politics 24-7. Well, it's so, sadly, we are entering, or, or maybe rejoicefully, depending on your politics, we are entering into a political season. We actually are. Presidential debates are being scheduled. Candidates are emerging So it's a political season here in America. Even all around the world, we're facing continual geopolitical upheaval. Just yesterday, there was a coup, and then there was not a coup. It was an amazing day. But as citizens of of a nation, we have a responsibility within that nation to seek the good of that nation. So hear me this morning. We've got to start with this premise. We've got to start with this premise. And this understanding, so if you're taking notes, you want to write this down, we belong to a heavenly kingdom, but we inhabit an earthly kingdom. We belong to an eternal kingdom, but we inhabit a temporary kingdom. Like Israel living in Babylonian captivity, we don't belong to the Babylonian system, but we work within it to bring about heavenly kingdom goodness goodness in the earthly kingdom brokenness. We work within this system of Babylon to bring about kingdom goodness in earthly kingdom brokenness. We're doing something a little bit different this morning when it comes to our Bible reading. We're just going to throw the first couple verses up on the screen for you to follow along because I want you to have your Bibles, and I want you to be able to open your Bibles and follow along. I want you to be engaged in the text and not just a consumer of the text on the screen. I want you to be engaged in the text. So you need to have your Bibles open, be ready to read, be ready to follow along. I would encourage you, and I know most of us have our Bibles on our phones. That's wonderful. It's super helpful, super handy. But I would encourage you to bring an actual Bible, bring a physical copy of your Bible with you to church on Sundays, bring a pen, a highlighter, take notes, write it down. It's hard to take notes on your screen while you're trying to listen. It's just hard. It's it's a little bit more difficult because you got your Bible open on your phone and then you're trying to type on your phone. It It can get difficult. So I would encourage you, bring your Bible, your physical copy of your Bible, and follow along and engage with the text. So let's look this morning at a, at a text. This, this first opening text is going to be on the screen, but then the remainder of the texts you're going to have to do yourself. It's, 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 it's do your own Bible searching day at New City Church. We may have to bring back sword drills just to make sure everybody knows how to find books of the Bible. I don't know how to find books of the Bible. I just get on my phone and type it in, and there it is. One day be dystopian. One day, there'll be no technology. What you going to read then? So, Jeremiah chapter 29. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles. This one is going to be on the screen for you. It says to all the exiles, I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them should work for the common good of the city, the nation, the community that we live in. 
And we should pray for our nation. And we should also reject injustice and unrighteousness and the false religion of the culture around us. This is the instruction that God gave to the Hebrew people in Babylonian captivity. And I believe that it's the same type of instruction that God would give to us who live not in the kingdom of heaven, but live in the fallen kingdom of man, in a shakable kingdom, a broken kingdom. Hebrews 12, 25 says, see to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. For if they did not escape when they rejected him, who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful by it. We may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe to our God, for our God is a consuming fire. That was Hebrews chapter 12, 25 through 28. I think that they were going to put just the reference on the screen so you would know to write that down. As citizens of an unshakable kingdom... We are to seek the well-being of the broken kingdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we're ambassadors for Christ. The church, I love how Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans puts it, the church should be a little bit of heaven here on earth. As ambassadors, we represent the kingdom of heaven. That means that that the church should be an embassy. A church should be an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. That when the world wants to find what heaven looks like, the world comes to the church. And when, when the church and when God wants to show the world what heaven looks like, he sends out the church. The church should look like heaven. We are ambassadors. We represent Christ. We desire goodness in the brokenness. We desire righteousness in the brokenness. We desire justice in the brokenness. We desire the broken to be reconciled to God. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. This is what he does. This is what the Lord requires of his people. To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with our God. Other translations say to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. That is what the Lord has required of us as his people. And so as we navigate Babylon, we follow the path of a heavenly kingdom ruled by King Jesus. Scripture tells us that justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne. So we should seek justice and righteousness in this fallen world. It's about heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. We recognize, we recognize for the kingdom of heaven 
to heal our broken kingdom of earth. Jesus tells us to pray like this. Therefore, he says, our Father in heaven, in Matthew chapter 6, your name be holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see that? He says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There are two kingdoms. There are currently two kingdoms. There are the kingdoms of this world the kingdom and the kingdom of God. God's plan has always been for there to be one kingdom ruled righteously. When he created Adam and Eve, he gave them as image bearers. He created them to rule and to bring order. And that was our job, was to bring order to chaos, to rule, to subdue, to be fruitful and multiply. That was our job. And sin and rebellion has haunted our governance ever since Adam and Eve rebelled. That's why he chose a new people and a new nation to ultimately bring every nation and every people under the kingdom of Jesus. He chose Abraham. He chose Abraham's seed, ultimately, who is Jesus. And Jesus will return, and Jesus will establish his kingdom on earth. I don't want us to take a second. I want us to back up. I don't want us to look at how Israel got a king, okay? Real quick, Deuteronomy chapter 17 Starting at verse 14. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, take possession of it, live in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around me. You are to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. Appoint a king from your brothers. You are not to set a foreigner over you or one who is not of your people. However, he must not acquire many horses for himself or send the people back to Egypt to acquire many horses. For the Lord has told you, you are never to go back that way again. He must not acquire many wives for himself so that his heart won't go astray. He must not acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself. When he is seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. It's to remain with him. He's to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, to observe all the words of his instruction and to do these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. He will not, re- he will not turn from his command to the left or the right. And he and his sons will continue reigning many years in Israel. Now, God did not want them to have a king, but he gave them requirements because he knew that they would rebel and require a king, demand a king. See, there, is, there are God and governments. God allowed Israel, God allowed Israel to set up a king, but not outside of his will. See, then this, in this God and governments, For Israel to have a king, it was not his perfect will, but he works with it. Eventually, Israel sets up a king, they demand a king, and the kings go against God's plan for kings, but God still allows them to rule as judgment for their rebellion. Now, Paul I think there's some scriptures under God and governments you guys are going to want to write down. Paul talks about how Christians are to submit to governments. Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 1, let everyone submit to the governing authorities. Since there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God, so then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. 
And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason, for it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect and honor to those you owe honor. See, God institutes governments. God institutes governments, but he also allows people to choose their leaders. He allows in, 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 even for people to elect leaders and rulers and presidents, but none of it is outside of his grand plan of redemption and the ultimate kingdom of Jesus ruling and reigning. Now, I want you to hear this as well. God allows, even though we just read from Hebrews about submitting to governments, God allows for rebellion by the righteous against kingdoms that are wicked. In 1 Kings, Obadiah hid the prophets when Jezebel was killing them. The decree was not to do that. He did it. In Daniel chapter 3, the three Hebrew youth refused to bow to the idol and they were thrown in the fiery furnace. In Daniel 6, Daniel refuses to stop praying even after the king's edict, and he is thrown into the den of lions. In Genesis, Moses' mom hides him to prevent his death by Pharaoh. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles refused to stop preaching even though they were commanded by the Jewish leaders to stop preaching. So God has given us rulers and leaders and governments for our own good. But when there is a direct conflict between the government and between God, we've got to obey God. When there is direct conflict, we obey God over government. Peter, listen to this, while under persecution from Nero and eventually martyred by him, says that we should honor the emperor in First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Nero was not worth honoring. But what Peter was doing was he was reminding all of the church and all of the Christians there not to get on, on Facebook and blast Nero. Because it makes the church look hypocritical. In Jesus, in Matthew 22, we see Jesus, when pressed about government's authority to require taxes, Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Even though the Roman government was oppressive towards the Jews, he said, 
give to Caesar what is Caesar. So just because we may not like our leaders and we may not like our government, we aren't free under God to just dishonor them. So God allows us to obey him and requires us to obey him over our earthly kingdoms and earthly governments, but we are still subject to facing wrath and punishment from earthly governments. I want us to get back now to God's instruction to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 17, a couple of verses here, 16 and 17. Remember, he said this about the king, not to acquire many horses for himself or send the people back to Egypt to acquire many horses, for the Lord has told you, you are never to go back that way again. He must not acquire many wives for himself, that he is, his heart won't go astray. He is not to acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself. What God is telling Moses, this is important, is that human kings, human leaders have a tendency because of the mixture of their sin nature and of power and pride have a tendency to govern in a way that makes things better for himself and worse for those under him. There is a tendency for kings and rulers to acquire horses and women and silver and gold. Not for the good of the governed, but for the good of himself. That's part of the nature of kings. There is a tendency for kings and for governments to become corrupt. There is a tendency for kings and governments to become prideful and arrogant and to care more about the powerful than the impoverished. We saw that this week. We saw the juxtaposition of some very wealthy folks and some very poor refugees. There is a tendency for kings and governments to become corrupt, corrupt, to desire riches and glory and wealth above the betterment of society and those they lead. They live in use social programs and a moral agenda to keep themselves in power. They'll play to their base. Because they're power hungry. But God tells Moses that the only remedy for a wicked king is to have the law of God to rule his heart. The only thing that allows a king or a president to rule and govern rightly is a fear of the Lord and an obedience to the precepts and teachings of God. When a leader governs rightly, it is not only good for him, it's good for his society. Godly governing is good for the governed and the governor. But ultimately, Israel demanded a king. David gives us a powerful passage. He says, some trust in chariots. Some trust in in chariots. See, when, 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 when the Israel people, when the Hebrew people demand a king, God sees Israel's desire for a human king as a rejection of himself as their ruler. 
The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, they've rejected me from being king over them. What the people were really saying was that they wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted a figurehead. They wanted someone they could point to as their king. It wasn't just that they wanted a king. They wanted a different king than Yahweh. They were choosing to be like the other nations. They were, in effect, voting God out of office. They wanted to place their trust in a man to protect them during war instead of God King who had brought them into the promised land. They wanted to trust a a man to provide for them during bad economic times and when famines would come and it would be a struggle to put food on their table instead of the God King who had provided manna in the desert. They wanted to hope in a man to lead them spiritually and give them the idols they desired instead of the God King who, who had proved himself more powerful than the gods of their neighbors. They wanted to hope in a man they could trust with their eyes instead of the God king they could trust with their hearts. They wanted to hope in a man that could enslave them by his decree instead of the God king who had set them free from bondage. They wanted to put their hope in a man that promised them everything they wanted to hear instead of the God king who would give them everything they needed. We're just as bad as the Israelites. We're just as bad as the Hebrew people. In the Old Testament, we want to get our provision from a man. What is, when what is truly broken in our country are our hearts. The only thing that can truly fix us, can only truly fix what is broken, is the true king. And yet God established governments. God has established governments and he desires governments to be good for their people. And he desires that we would be good citizens of our government. But we get far, church, we get far too easily entangled in party politics when we should be more concerned about the kingdom that is coming. We look to men to fix what only God can fix. We look to policies instead of looking to Jesus We look at the little letter beside the name instead of looking to the cross. We look to elect a a man or a woman instead of advancing the true kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, and yet we keep trying to build it instead of bringing it. We're far too willing to surrender the kingdom to a political movement. Now listen. We should do what is in our God-given power to promote a godly government, a government that protects the weak, that governs justly, that promotes freedoms. We should advocate for just laws. We should advocate for moral laws. But we shouldn't place our hope in government governed by men and women. God still wants to be our king. No allegiance should be higher than our allegiance to King Jesus. And we must recognize that no political party fully represents God's kingdom agenda. Neither the donkey nor the elephant look like the lamb. I'm reminded of what David wrote in the Psalms. He said, now I know the Lord gives victory to his anointed, Psalm 20. 
He will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories from his right hand. Some take pride in chariots. Some trust in chariots, others in horses. But we take pride or we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand firm. The kingdom of God in his Christ. So what is godly governing? What is godly governing? The answer to bad governments is godly governing. What is godly governing? I'm going to give you three things right here. You should write them down. Number one, God, what does godly governing look like? Number one, it looks after the weakest of its people. The unborn. And you, you read through read through the Old Testament. You read through God's, God's prescription to Israel, the laws that he gave Israel. He made sure the weakest of its people were taken care of. We should look for the, after the, the godly governments look after the weakest of its people, the unborn, the poor, the immigrant, the single mom. Godly government should look after the weakest of its people. Number two, godly governments reward right behavior and punish wrong behavior. Godly governments reward right behavior and punish wrong behavior, whether that's from from greed, corporate greed, to assault. Right behavior should be rewarded. Bad behavior should be punished. Number three, godly governments allow for a free society. It allows for personal freedom as long as it doesn't harm society as a whole. And here's something, so so those three, godly governments, looks after the weakest of its people, rewards right behavior, punishes bad behavior, and allows for a freedom in society. I think Christians are allowed, church, I believe Christians are allowed to disagree on government policies. I believe Christians are allowed to disagree on how, what, what is best for governments to govern all of its citizens. But I don't think there's room for Christians to disagree over what is godly and what is wicked. And I especially don't think Christians should let their political affiliations dictate how they live and interact in a worldly kingdom. Just because a political party says this is the way we should do it doesn't mean that's how God says we should do it. I don't care what party it is. We are far too beholden to parties over biblical principles. Christians should always be about the other kingdom. We should always be praying, thy kingdom come. But until his kingdom comes, we live as citizens of his kingdom in a captive land that he's afforded to us because of God's common grace we are citizens in this land. Like Paul, he would appeal to Roman law. We got to understand that we're dual citizens. And our heavenly citizenship is eternal and most important. While this citizenship is fleeing, while it's fleeting, it is still important. 
We serve King Jesus. We serve King Jesus. Several years ago, several years ago, several elections ago, there was a song, and I've shared it since then over during election season. I want to check it out. Jesus for President, rap song, Flame, Jesus for President, Jesus for President. Uh. Right? We serve King Jesus. Jesus doesn't pick sides. He tells us to choose. Jesus doesn't pick sides. He tells us to choose. Joshua chapter 5, listen to this. This is important. Verse 13, 14, 15. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied, I have now come as the commander of the Lord's army. This is Jesus. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in homage and asked him, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did that. Do you read that? Joshua said, who's Whose side are you on? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the commander of the army says, neither. You've got to pick a side. You've got to choose. You're either for me or you're against me. I'm going to fight against my enemies. You get to pick whose side you're on. I don't pick sides. I am the side is what Jesus says. When it comes to many things, including political engagement, I believe the conversation, I believe this this conversation is still happening between Christians and the Christ. Christians continue to ask, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And Jesus continues to answer, no, neither. I'm holy. I'm for me, I'm for the kingdom of God. I am that I am. You choose who you're going to serve. If we aren't taking off our shoes and submitting to the holiness of Christ, we aren't fighting for him. We aren't on his side. We may win some battles against our adversaries, but we won't gain territory for the kingdom. That's so vital. We need to hear that. If we aren't fighting with Jesus and fighting like Jesus, we may win some battles against our political adversaries, but we will not gain kingdom territory. We won't bring anyone along with us. If we're going to fight alongside of Jesus, we have to fight the way Jesus fights. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. He conquered by dying. He won by sacrifice. He took enemy territory by carrying a cross. He converted his crucifiers by praying for them. He proclaimed and demonstrated the kingdom by loving his enemies. We still need some winsome witnesses of the kingdom. In our social media, cable news culture, everything has become political. And everything political has become a battleground. A few years ago, people were burning their Nikes. Right? I remember that. 
in our culture, every politician now becomes either a hero to be championed and defeat and defended or a foe to be defeated and villainized. I'm not saying we don't stand for righteousness, but we stand for righteousness righteously. Too often we've picked a side and we've demanded that the commander of the army of the Lord fight on our side. Church, it's time we fight with him. It's time we lay down our weapons and pick up our cross. It's time we lead like Jesus, love like Jesus. It's time we show Jesus to the world. It's not time to build a Christian nation. It's time to be Christian and kingdom ambassadors. Now listen, I want you to hear this. It doesn't mean we don't engage politics. It doesn't, and it, it, it won't mean that we won't disagree. It doesn't mean that we won't disagree. It means that we engage those with whom we agree and we engage with those whom we disagree in a God-honoring posture. We speak truth in love. We're to be like Jesus, full of grace and truth. We don't name call. We don't engage in tropes and misogyny and racism. We don't bear false witness. We don't defend ungodliness just because the person's on our side. We don't dehumanize those we disagree with. That's not the way of Christ. That's not the way of political kingdom engagement. Maybe we need to take a minute and consider if our social media and our political engagement is Christ-like. And if not, we can pray to be better and do better, and I pray that we do better. There's been plenty of times, not so much recently, because I've discovered that a political rant doesn't change anybody's mind about the politics, it just changes their mind about me. But there have been plenty of times I would type out a post and then hit delete because it's just going to add to the noise. And so if I speak out, it's because I really believe that that it's important. And if I speak out, I want to be careful that when I speak out, I speak with clarity and nuance and not in a way that is demeaning or ugly, but truthful, humble, loving, and righteous. But I genuinely believe, church, that if we don't behave like Jesus in our political discourse and in our political engagement, that our country is headed for a great collapse. We need to speak out. We need to speak out with grace and with truth. And we don't, we don't need to just speak out. We need to live what we say believe. If we don't, not only is our country headed for a great collapse, but the public witness of the church is compromised for generations. It's been one of the things that have been voted on, received a good number of votes to talk about in, in the sermon, sermon series is deconstruction. 
atheism and folks leaving the church. Well, the main reasons that folks are leaving the church, especially millennials and Gen Z, main one of the main reasons they're leaving the church is because what we what who what we vote for contradicts what we have said we've believed. What we have defended and politicians that we have defended have are in direct contradiction to what we have said we believed. And what we have excused in one politician, we have condemned in another as the people of God. Now listen, please, don't feel like I'm bashing you or your politics. I'm not. I'm just encouraging us to engage politics in a manner worthy of our calling as ambassadors of Jesus. To be civil, to be Christian, to be salt and light. We've got to take the words of the Apostle Paul to heart in his letter to the Romans in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. With, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, instead associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what is to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it's written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you'll be reaping fiery coals on his head. Don't be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Getting close to a close here, closer than I was when I started. Political engagement. So what does kingdom-minded political engagement then look like? We've talked about what a godly government looks like. What does kingdom-minded political engagement look like? What does what is the church's role in government? What can the church do to create a better society? What roles should the church play in society? What is dual citizenship in light of the kingdom of God? Again, not here to bash politicians, and we're going to end this time together in a special prayer for our nation. But we live in a country that allows us to choose our leaders, so I want to give you some guidelines when choosing leaders. And I want to explain what it looks like when I vote through this politically-minded, kingdom-minded political engagement. What biblical principles maybe guide my vote? Here's number one. Whose side are their policies on? Write that down when you're thinking about voting in the fall, next fall. Whose side are their policies on? Are they on the Lord's side or are they not on the Lord's side? What are some of those policies? Well, for me, they're pro-life policies. And I don't just mean abortion. All abortion is is definitely part of pro-life policies. It's but there are other pro-life policies, such as, such as uh, maternal pay, such as health care, such as economic policies. These have direct tie-in to life issues. Capital punishment, that is a pro-life issue to me. 
another policy? Whose side are their policies on? Family. Are they pro-family? That includes tax policy. Our government, I believe our government should encourage family through tax policy, not punish family through tax policy. Do they promote traditional family values in their policies? What about racial issues? That is important to me. Do, they, do, they, do their policies help racial justice or punish racial inequality or, or bring racial inequality? Those are important to me. I think those are biblical things. Poverty, gun violence, just war in our national defense, humanitarian policies, immigration policies, religious freedom for all religions, gender and sex. These are, these are issues that I believe matter to God. Now, we may disagree on the policies and how they're enacted and what they look like, but we should be united in a kingdom agenda. We may have disagreements over what tax policy is pro-family and what tax policy isn't pro-family. We may have those disagreements. But our engagement should be Christ-minded. And they should and we should be seeking the good. We may have a different idea of what it looks like to get to the good, but our end game should be the same. Does that make sense? Another issue when I think about political engagement, number one is whose side are their policies on? Secondly is what kind of person are they when I'm thinking about political engagement? Because character matters. Character matters. Can I in good conscience cast the vote for this person? Are they humble? Are they just? Are they, are they honest? Are they morally upright? Are they worthy of my vote? This is what I, what I think about as I think through voting. Number three, does my vote harm my Christian witness? Does publicly supporting a particular candidate cause those outside the church to question the faith that I profess? Not because of their policies, but because of, maybe, maybe because of their policies, but maybe because of the kind of person they just are. Does publicly supporting a candidate reveals hypocrisies within the church? I, I don't think we should compromise our convictions to vote for a candidate. We should be engaged. We should be engaged. So what do we do? What else do we do? What is this political involvement? We should pray on its behalf. First, we pray. Second, we do justice we love mercy, and we walk humbly with our God. Third, we engage politics in a kingdom-minded way, but we must pray. Listen to this. You know this passage. It's, it's quoted all the time. 
if I shut the sky so there's no rain, this is Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13, 14, 15. If I shut the sky so there's no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place. I want you to understand this, hear this. America is not a new Israel. America is not God's chosen people. As Christians, we are God's people. As Christians... We are a, what Peter said, a peculiar people, a holy nation, a a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. As Christians, we are God's people. America isn't God's, God's people. America is not God's chosen nation or God's chosen land. But as Christians, we're God's people. And as Christians, we want our nation healed. Just like Christians in the Ukraine, or in Guatemala, or in China, or in Iran, or in Russia, or in Zimbabwe, want their nation healed. So we pray for the healing of all the nations, including our own. As Christians, we understand that ultimately the healing will come in the kingdom of Christ. And we also understand that God desires us to repent in order to bring healing. And the church must repent. Because America isn't God's holy people. The church is God's holy people. And if the church doesn't repent, there'll be no healing in the land we live in. Let me remind you of the word of the Lord to a people living in Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah 29. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf For when it thrives, you will thrive. Like Israel, we are exiles. We are to seek the welfare of our nation while remaining true to the kingdom of which we belong. So I believe, church, it's important not to confuse God's covenantal promises with Israel with us as Americans. God wants a godly government. He wanted a theocracy, a God rule. Israel wanted a a homocracy, a man, king, God still wants a theocracy. Jesus is still the ruler. He rules in us, and he wants us to live as kingdom citizens, and he will rule the world physically as king. But listen, if we recognize that the covenant is for us as Christians, not a covenant with America, and if we live as kingdom citizens in America, we can expect the blessing on us as Christians regardless of what it's like. We pray for the well-being and the welfare of the city, but we recognize that the covenant isn't with the wicked city, but that the covenant believers, as covenant believers, we can impact the wicked city and bring kingdom blessings to it while we await our king and his kingdom. We can't trust the power systems of this world. They can be used by God, they can be used for good, but, but we must trust in the Lord our God. We must return to King Jesus. And so we must pray 
we must pray on its behalf. This country is not going to pray for itself. The wicked aren't going to pray for righteousness. The lost aren't going to pray for righteousness. The godless aren't going to pray for righteousness. So we pray on its behalf, knowing that the covenant God has made is with us, and we indwell this land now. So we pray for it. Recognizing that it's not in covenant with God, but we are. And we want God to bless us so that we can bring blessings to the world around us. So we're going to pause here. Jared, if you So we're going to pray for our nation. Then I'm going to close with one more thought this morning. And I want us to stand right now. And I want us to pray. I want us to pray on its behalf, on the behalf of this country. Pray for righteousness. Pray for wisdom. Pray for peace. Pray for, pray for prosperity. Pray for the well-being of the city we live in. Amen? Let's lift our voices in prayer and pray for this country. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up our voices. We lift up our voices in prayer. We cry out for this nation. Lord, we cry out for this nation, God. We cry out for this nation, for the citizens of this nation. We ask, God, that you would bring righteousness, that you would bring peace, that you would bring prosperity, that you would bring security. We ask that you would give our wisdom, our leaders wisdom, that you would give those, our elected officials wisdom, that you would give those here in this city wisdom, that you would give those in our state wisdom, in our country, God, that you would give them, give them a wisdom and a, and a discernment and a knowledge of good and what is wicked and, and what is good for the people, what is good for the country. God, I pray, Lord, that revival Bible would sweep across, that there would be salvations, that people would come to you to know you, to put their faith in you, their hope in you. God, we lift up this country. We lift up the place in which we live. God, we ask that you would pour out blessings, that we would repent, that we would repent, that we would turn from our wickedness, that we would turn from our hypocrisy, that we would turn from our 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 pride and our arrogance, and we would repent, and we would find your blessing. We would find your restoration. And that, God, we would then be able to take your blessings to the world around us, God. We pray for the well-being. We pray for the good of the city in which we live. God, we pray for life. God, we pray for, for leaders. We pray for our representatives, our senators, our congressmen, our, our representatives. We pray for our, for, for our justices and Supreme Court justices, we pray for our president, pray for our governors, we pray for our local leader, our mayor, and our city councilman. And Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would turn their hearts to you. Turn their hearts to you. Well, that it would not all be about political power, but it would be about goodness in the land. That salvation come to hearts and lives. Jesus. The church said, our God and our King, David, the greatest king of Israel, looked for a time when God himself would rule again as king. Psalm 145, 
I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Listen, the oppressed, the hurting, the broken, the desperate, the rich, the affluent, the educated, the commoner, the official, everyone in Israel longed for a king, not just any king, but the promised king, the chosen king, the anointed king, the king of kings, the king David prophesied about, the king that would rule justly and rightly and deliver his people. The people recognized Jesus as that king when he came and he rode in on a donkey. Jesus even said, if they don't recognize me as king, creation will rise up and testify of my kingdom. The Psalms, again, speak of this everlasting king. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of a brightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. The everlasting king is Jesus, and he will ultimately return to set up his kingdom and to destroy the wicked kingdoms of this world. Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. They'll make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called the chosen and the faithful. Listen, church, King Jesus will destroy all the spiritual leaders that have influenced this world system, namely the beast and the false prophet. Every king and kingdom and wicked ruler and leader will pass away and be dealt with. Verse 11, Revelation 19, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire. On his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. His own. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of God, of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh has a, has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him, who was sitting on the horse and against his army. following along right with this passage his garments are already dripped in blood and he hasn't fought a battle with the king or the beast yet because the blood is his own blood which which he brought salvation to the earth The beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies were gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake that burn, a fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. He destroyed every wicked ruler and wicked king We see all this imagery, but the point is this. 
One day, King Jesus will return, and it will be like it was always destined to be from the garden. He will be our God. We will be his people. While we wait, Paul tells us, while we wait for this blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Jesus is our eternal King. He will return. We will not reject Him, but we will join with the angels in worship to our great King. This is our great blessed hope. This is our King and Kingdom. So we're citizens. We dwell. We're captives in a Babylon. But we're citizens of a Kingdom that will not be shaken so we live as ambassadors of that kingdom and we engage in this world system as ambassadors of that kingdom heavenly father thank you for your goodness and your mercy thank you for the return of the king that we await our blessed hope we give you glory honor and praise In Jesus' name, the church said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you, Mr. Jared.